Hello, hello, everybody. This is Shanti Shoestring Dost. I am the founder of the initiative Silence the Shame, and I want to thank everybody that tuned in to our first episode featuring Rhonda Morgan. I'm so grateful to her for coming on the show. And since our first podcast, we got accepted by iTunes. Yay! Y'all can clap for that. I was so excited. Um, and, and this journey has just been so amazing of, of trying to peel back the layers of shame and stigma on mental health. And now we finally have our platform for the world to hear. So we're truly grateful. Uh, you are now tuned in to episode two of the Silence of Shame podcast. And I am so excited to have, um, I don't know if I should call her my little sister, my mentee. Um, she has just been absolute blessing in my life. And we met through a mutual friend that we have um, when she was working for James Andrews. And then I think through just um, similarities in, in situations um, in her family and, and things that happened, I just kind of took her under my wing. And now we're working together on this wonderful initiative and, and hopefully doing a lot of other good things. But she's just a, a great person. And I want you guys to welcome to the show, Cameron. Thank you, Shanti. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Um, and, and just thank you for coming on to be willing to to share. I mean, you are now a part of the Silence of Shame Committee, but to be able to have you on as a guest and, and really kind of share some of your personal experiences, um, we don't take that for granted. And I'm very grateful. Um, so can you kind of share with us, when did you first discover... Um, that you were dealing with depression and and I know we kind of we dealt with depression and suicide some on the first episode and you never know we're going to be talking about all different types of mental health disorders on the silence of shame podcast everything from PTSD to anxiety to you know postpartum and and we're just going to have so many wonderful people on sharing their stories in addition to having uh, mental health care professionals sometimes in the studio with us or calling in but today we're going to focus on depression as well as schizophrenia. So uh, if you could share with us a little bit about um, when you first kind of start seeing signs of depression and did you even know what it was or you just thought you were sad? Okay, well, I don't think I actually knew what it was until I finally broke down and started talking to my mom. Um, I think I was about 12 or 13 when my parents told me that they were getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, those of you who have been through that know that it's a very long process. So mm -hmm. for about you know two years, I'm going through my parents splitting up. Um, the school that I was attending, they forced us to write about our feelings a lot. Mm -hmm. So I actually essentially wrote a story about my parents' divorce. And, and that's actually a good thing that they were encouraging you guys to express your emotions. It was a good thing, but I think where I was at that time and then reading my own words and... It probably made it more difficult. It made it worse. I yeah. almost felt like I didn't see the signs and mm -hmm. maybe I could have done something. And, um, you know, I just started getting really sad. I had really great friends and all these great opportunities and I didn't want to do anything. Um, I finally just told my mom one day that I didn't want to be here. Mm -hmm. And How um, old were you? Was that still around the same time? I was around time? 13 years old. Yeah. And um, I just... I was sad because I didn't understand why I was having these thoughts mm -hmm. about suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my mom took action immediately. We went to go see a child psychiatrist. I got on antidepressants. I was taken out of school for about a week. Mm -hmm. um, and they were fully aware of what was going on with me. My um, workload was decreased, I think, by about 50%. Mm -hmm. um, they pretty much just wanted me to 
get through the day. Mm -hmm. So I'm so thankful to the school that I went to for working with me. Um, I was at a private school, so I think, you know, that really did just that environment of nurturing really did help. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was my first time with depression. And um, thank God your mom took you to get help. Yes. Because oftentimes in, you know, we always talk about in the African American community, but I think in, you know, any um, community, right, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian, I think, you know, obviously we know mental health does not discriminate based on your your race or your color, um, but we are affected by the shame and stigma. And as parents, we're embarrassed, you know, and, and we don't want to think anything is quote unquote wrong with our children. Um, so, you know, I commend your mother, you know, may she rest in peace um, for doing that for you. And I think obviously that saved your life at that time. Right? It did. Yeah. And I honestly think that the way she handled it mm -hmm. makes me able to talk about it now, you mm -hmm. know, because I'm not ashamed. You yeah. know, it's something that I went through. It's something that she went through. Yeah. Um, apparently, my family is predisposed to depression. Mm -hmm. That's something I've learned as I've gotten older. So um, this is just something that I'm dealing with. I'm going right. to have But it doesn't with. define you. It doesn't <laughs> right? define me. Absolutely yeah. not. So how long do you think that Lassiter, do you remember by chance how long you were on medication and then when you got better and then obviously as other life-changing situations happened, did you find yourself going back into depression? I want to say I was on um, Lexapro for about <clears throat> maybe a year and a half mm -hmm. um, and I weaned myself off mm -hmm. and, you know, I was fine. I was doing really well. Um, my mother passed away two weeks into my senior year of high school. I... Actually, I didn't have to go seek help outside of my school because I was this thing called a peer leader, which essentially meant I had group counseling every day. Mm -hmm. And I also mentored the freshman class. Mm -hmm. So I had this amazing support group. So um, it really wasn't until I got to college I started feeling really depressed and just, you know, was sad because I, you know, had this other life-changing event and my mother wasn't there. Yeah. So I knew that, you know, depression was something that I suffered from. So I immediately went to um, the psychology department, found out where the mental health center was, mm -hmm. and I started seeing someone. Um, I started seeing someone at Howard for maybe two years, but she was a doctorate student, so she graduated and um, referred me to a psychiatrist who I started seeing for another two years. And did that help you through your time in college? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I Tell me in what way, like what was different, you think? I think because coming from my senior year, I had grown so accustomed to being able to express myself with other people who mm -hmm. really understood me. Mm -hmm. So going to college after my mom had passed away, I was just this girl whose mother had died. Mm -hmm. They didn't know me before that right. so they didn't understand somebody just saying that they're annoyed that their mom is calling them every day mm -hmm. they don't understand how somebody like me it just doesn't feel great to hear that type of complaint of course and that's not something that I can it's something that I like to talk to with you know my therapist or something because these are my feelings these are my problems um and I you know didn't necessarily want them put on other people but um yeah it definitely just it gave me an outlet you know, mm -hmm. it gave me a safe space to know that I could just be upset, say how I feel um, mm -hmm. without judgment and knowing that if I needed to take medication, I could. Um, I think I it's like I 
I stayed off medication for a while at Howard. I think I started back um, around my junior or senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the important thing. I'm glad you brought that up. You, you know, people think that, oh, if I go through depression or if I go see a psychiatrist, I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life. Everybody's situation is different, mm-hmm. right? Some cases are more extreme than others. And, you know, typically it's up to you and your doctor um, and your Hopefully, you know, when you're seeing a psychiatrist, you're also pairing that with seeing a therapist or a licensed counselor because, you know, you're only going to spend X amount of hours with your psychiatrist and they're just going to prescribe you the medication. But your therapist is going to be the one that you, you know, pretty much see on a consistent basis, whether it's weekly or biweekly, you know, or a couple of times a month. Um, And so they're going to be a lot closer to you. So you want to make sure that when you get on the medication, um, like Cameron mentioned, you you have to talk to your doctor and find out the best way to wean yourself off of it when you think you're finally ready. And if you're not ready, it may be a situation where it's something that you take um, for a longer period of time. But just know that that's not your decision to make. And it is really, you know, important that you understand the side effects of your medications and and how you're supposed to properly take it um, if you are prescribed medication by a licensed professional. Um, Did any of your friends at Howard, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the stigma, right, and the shame um, being a young adolescent and and dealing with depression, or even when you were in high school, did any of your friends think less of you, or did you ever hear any whispers, or were you ever embarrassed to tell your friends that you were actually going to an appointment to see your therapist, or, and not saying you're walking through to the, the, the quad or the yard with a sign up saying, hey, I'm going to see my therapist, <laughs> but, you know, if people knew, was it ever uh, kind of weird or uncomfortable for you? I don't think I was very vocal about mm-hmm. going to seek help. Um, With your close friends, too? You know, my best friend from high school went to college with me, Mm -hmm. so she was probably one of the only people that was really aware what was going on with me. Was she supportive? She was very supportive, and she never judged me. And sometimes it just takes one person. Yeah. Again, when I say share your emotions and thoughts, I'm not saying you got to blast it to the world or, you know, snap it up or put it on IG, but it is important to have one person, whether it's a friend or family member, that you confide in, that you can trust, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And now I love, I love, love, love my HU, like lead Howard. <laughs> but it was very interesting that um, it was really tough to find the mental health center. Mm, you really? know, and it just it kind of bugged me. It's just kind of like off in the cut somewhere, and it's just like you know a sad little building, and it just. It didn't make me feel great going there. Mm-hmm. You know, my um, psychiatrist's office now, it's just, you know, super bright and airy. And it was just like, I wish that there was a little bit more just care in that, mm. just in the physical appearance sure. of it. Because if you're already feeling some kind of way and right. then, you know, a little small the dark building doesn't help it, the shame. You know, exactly. it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I went in That's there with my head, my head held high because I knew that. It was necessary. Well, I think you are a shining example of someone um, that dealt with their sickness at the time head on, right? No different than if, if we, you know, got diagnosed with cancer or some other, you know, disease and we needed to go see a doctor. So that's what we're trying to do. And that's the goal. Um, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to the Silence of Shame podcast, episode two. I'm sitting here talking to my good friend, Cameron. Um, and uh, just so grateful for her sharing her story of depression 
Um, do you mind sharing with us the second traumatic event that happened within your family? And did you did you find yourself in the last two years going back into any sort of depression? Because obviously you've been out of school, college now. How long? Five years. Okay. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> so, <laughs> you still um, look like you're in college. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. So, um, well, my mom passed in 2006. Mm-hmm. And then in 2008, I got a call when I was at school that my dad was in an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, he was biking, riding his bicycle in California. Um, we think, because we, we still don't know exactly what happened, but we think he lost control went headfirst into a tree, and he um, had a severe spinal cord injury, leaving him in a wheelchair. Mm. So I get a call, you know, that my dad's in the ICU. Mm-hmm. I dropped everything, went to L.A. Yeah. Um, to, to see him and to be there with him. I'm so thankful for my sister because she dropped her entire life for mm-hmm. a few months and cared for him, um, mm-hmm. made sure she tra- he transitioned back home. Um, so, yeah, I that was a crazy traumatic experience. Um, luckily, I had counseling throughout that but um a few years ago my dad started well when my dad came home he was doing really well as far as his um, rehab and everything he was making all these strides with walking and he was able to get up and hug us but um you know his health started declining and it was surgery after surgery after surgery um and it was like he was in the hospital all the time and it honestly felt like the situation with my mother who was chronically ill my entire life mm. all over again. Oh, wow. Um, but the funny thing is I did not seek help. I didn't until my dad passed away. And that's, we're coming up on a year, March 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until. Do you ca- think you didn't seek help because you were, um, I, I hate to, not necessarily better equipped, but because you had dealt with it as a child that you, knew your triggers and you could kind of better handle it on your own or you just didn't deal with it? I think I was in denial, honestly. Okay. I really just didn't want to, I didn't, I think I just didn't want to accept what was going on either. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was just easier to kind of bury everything. Yeah. Um, but that really didn't do me any service because, you know, my dad did pass away and mm-hmm. um, it's been a really tough year. Yeah. I, got back on antidepressants and it had been what five years mm-hmm. um started taking sleeping pills because like I was a wreck I went like months without sleeping um mm-hmm. so and looking back I'm like wow so I probably should have called my doctor about a year before my dad passed away mm-hmm. um probably should have started taking meds much sooner yeah um and you know I just but I'm thankful that I know that sometimes I will try to bury that because I just know that I have to be that much more vigilant. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to have kids one day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to suffer from postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. That's just something that I have to just think about now. It's not something that I'm not going to, you know, try to ignore my depression ever again because it's it's probably always going to be around. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think I'm. I'm thankful that I know that about myself now. Yeah, and that if, if again, if you feel like you, you think you need some help with it, that's when you see your psychiatrist and go get on your medication. I remember when I first started taking my antidepressants, we had to deal with, you know, the levels of, like, the milligrams, right, mm-hmm. of what I was taking. And, and it varies. Sometimes it takes two or three times to get it right mm-hmm. because, you know, 50 milligrams was 
it's not a lot for some, but it was a little too much for me. So mm-hmm. we had to, you know, tweak it and figure it out. Um, but there's nothing wrong, nothing to be embarrassed about having to take medication. And and I'm just glad, you know. And actually, I'm glad you said that about the um, adjusting. Mm-hmm. When I was at Howard, I was on birth control. I was taking the pill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a week that you're taking essentially a placebo. There's no hormones. Mm, right. And that week, like, I lost it. Like Really? I, yeah. You were... <clears throat> Excuse me. I was on de- antidepressants and I was on So do you control. think that combination could have been something? It definitely was because the the hormones that I was receiving with the birth control uh-huh. was, you know, I guess essentially balancing out the uh-huh. antidepressants. So I, it w- I had to keep going back between my OBGYN and my psychiatrist to figure out. So it threw you off balance. It threw me off balance. Like I just didn't understand, like, why I was just, like having all these suicidal thoughts, like why I was just so upset. Like oh, I wow. literally just went, like I had to say, but I went crazy yeah. for a week and it kept happening. And that's when um, I talked to them and we just realized that I have to double up during that week. During that week, mm-hmm. interesting. So that's also something for females that are on birth control and you might be suffering from depression. Like it's you're going to have to probably talk to your OBGYN too because that is something that will affect you. These are all hormones that you're putting into your body. Yeah, and it's medication. So it's always good to let your other doctors know, your primary care physicians or your uh, OBGYNs, as Cameron mentioned, you know, so that your doctors know what's going on. And and that shouldn't scare you. It should just let you know that there are certain steps and measures you need to take mm-hmm. to make sure that it's all balancing out in your body. Because yeah. the reason why the body becomes depressed or deals with mental health disorders is, is typically because there is some sort of chemical imbalance within the system. And so that's why you have to make sure that you are talking to a licensed doctor and you're not self-medicating and trying to figure it out on your own, that you're actually going to a healthcare professional to seek you know, counseling and help and support. Yeah, but, you know, as soon as we identified the problem, we doubled up during that week, I was fine and back to normal. So I am so grateful for you um, for one, just being willing to to openly share. I think you are a breath of fresh air. Um, You're a wonderful person. Thank you for all that you are doing with Silence to Shame. We are going to hopefully be able to impact I'm not even going to say thousands, millions of people's lives. Yes. And, and I hope that more people will start tuning in to Silence to Shame and wanting to call in and, and be a part of it. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and we'll be right back with our guest, Xavier Peoples, who is going to share his experience with one of his family members um, as we start to dive into schizophrenia on Silence to Shame podcast episode two. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Silence the Shame podcast, episode two. As I mentioned earlier, we are now on iTunes. Woo! Y'all give it up for that. We're so excited, Um, and hopefully we'll be able to reach millions and get our message of silencing the shame and stigma around mental health because it is so important. It's something that I think many of us suffer with and from or have people that we know that experience it. But oftentimes it's something that we won't necessarily talk about at the dinner table. It's always behind closed doors or we're tiptoeing around, you know, what's going on. And, um, you know, we just got to get to a point where we're not embarrassed 
and um, and it's okay, and that we feel comfortable talking about it. So I want to welcome to the show someone that uh, is highly respected in the Atlanta community, and and we have a mutual friend. I think our paths have crossed several times, but we just recently got reconnected um, by our dear friend Jay Carter. And shout out to Jay Carter and One Music Fest uh, for the good work they're doing in the in the Atlanta community. Um, but everybody, let's welcome Xavier Peoples to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's my uh, crowd clap. <laughs> How you doing? Doing wonderful. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career and what it was like for you growing up as a child, and then you know we can kind of dive into your experience um, with mental health. So I am a banker mm-hmm. by trade. Yeah, and not just any banker, y'all. Not just any banker. Okay. Uh, a private banker. Yes. Banking the rich and famous. The guap of the guap. The guap of the guap. <laughs> um, I own Embar on Auburn Avenue. Entrepreneur, too. And um, I like to consider the most important part about me. I'm an activist. Yes. And so um, every day, every night, what I do during the daytime, no matter what I do, it's all about my community mm-hmm. and making sure that I'm doing what I need to do for the greater good of sure. my community as a whole, particularly my city. I love Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Me too. I ride hard. Very we hard. We both wear that A on our chest, right? No question about it. If I if I had tattoos, I would have it tattooed on me. What no what side of town did you grow up on? I'm from Decatur. Oh, from the deck. Okay. Born and raised. Uh, right. Decatur, where's greater? East side, That's Glenwood right. Road, to be exact. Okay. Um, two parent household, sister. Yeah. Dog. All that the good American stuff. The American dream. The American dream. I don't know if it was the American dream. But, but in a sense, to some, though. Yeah. Because think about it. Everybody can't even say they got two parents and a dog in a house. How That's about real. That? But my parents did a good job of making us think that we were living an American dream. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we, we come from a, a modest beginning, but they did a, a good job of not allowing us to know and understand that our beginnings were even modest mm. in the first place. And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, shouts out to my parents for Absolutely. that. You know, I can, I can really appreciate that. Um, but like you said, grew up in a two, a, a two parent household in, in Decatur. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an older sister. She's four years older than me. And literally, um, throughout my entire life, um, I would say that I just lived a normal life and, just like many people, my mother was the centerpiece of my life. Yeah, the matriarch of the family, No right? question. Introduced me to, to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, even my, my dad was there, but it was my mom who made sure that I was in sports, who made sure right. that my homework was done, who made sure that anything and everything when it was concerned about my well-being, she took care of me from front to back. Dear mama. Dear mama. For sure. Mm -hmm. And so when when we come in and we talk about this mental health piece, I like to tell people to imagine one day all through your life from the time that you were born to the time that you're about 19, that your mom was normal, Mm -hmm. just a normal mom. Now say that age again. My mom's age right now? No, from when you said... When from you, the time you were born to yeah. the time that you were like 19, 19 years old. Uh-huh. So your mom was <clears throat> normal, taking care of you, doing what mothers do all day. And every, society's sense of normal, right? Or and, standard. And society's yeah. sense of normal yeah. standard. And literally, one day you come home from college, you're taking a nap, and she like buses in your room with holy oil and start like trying to put holy oil 
all over your forehead, holy oil all over your really? room. And so you don't know what the heck is going on. You're yeah. like I'm sure it's scary too. Yeah. Or like, it was scary. But even at that point, it wasn't necessarily scary. I thought that she was just tripping that day. Gotcha. So um, you know Bachi. Yeah. So Bachi and I, we went to West Georgia together. We were uh-huh. throwing parties. Bachi's she, a local promoter he's a, for he's a local listening promoter. in Atlanta. And so what I thought, she used to always get on Bachi and I about how we were not doing what God called us to do because we were throwing these parties and bringing people to come and drink alcohol. So mm-hmm. I just thought that she was like really tripping that day. Mm-hmm. Or acting out on uh, her faith and, and just really trying to bring y'all along. E- exactly. Yeah. So. At that moment, didn't think anything wrong with him. Like, Mom, you tripping, mm-hmm. whatever. Cool. So we moved on. And then as time went on, again, we were raised in the church, spent a lot of time at the church. She started acting out at church. Mm. And so. Um, now, that was probably difficult because now you're not necessarily in. In the household. Correct. And but, now you're in front of other people. But But not only the church, but. Think about this. Back in that day and time, we were in church three, four, five times a week. Mm-hmm. And it's truly an extension of your family, but it's a family of a thousand plus people. And right. everybody know you intimately. You go over people's houses. Sure. I didn't have to sell dope when I was a kid because everybody in my church allowed me to come over and cut their grass in the spring and rake their leaves in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, the first business that I ever had um, was birthed out of my church because a deacon pulled me to the side because I used to work so hard, cutting grass, raking leaves by myself. He said, why won't you hire some of your friends? Mm-hmm. And I explained to him, I said, well, you know, I don't want to share any money. <laughs> and he said, well, look, I'll pay you more and then you pay them less. And then that birthed my first business and taught me how to be an entrepreneur and how to have people to work for wow. me. So at 12 years old, I had people working for me. That's awesome. And so, again, these people were extensions of my parents, Mm -hmm. um, people who are very, very, very important to me and shaped who I am today. And so with that being said, my mom, with her schizophrenia in her mind, she thought she was the pastor's wife. Mm. And so imagine on Sunday, the church is packed thousand plus people in a I church can't imagine. and your mom walks up in front of the the congregation and she tells the congregation that she is divorcing deacon peoples and she's marrying pastor Roland. wow are you serious that's this is a true story no lie imagine on another sunday go to church as normal minding your business and then you get a call that your mom is in the pastor's office sitting behind his desk eating this food. So so let's 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 pause for a second. What was that like? Just, you know, because we know, right, unfortunately, people in church, you know, they talk in the whispers, mm-hmm. you know, and you feel that and, and you're not supposed to feel that in church, but it happens, right? Absolutely. So what was that like for you and your dad and your family? When that even first happened, like what did you get a lot of looks and stares and no question. But see, the good thing about it just so happened. My pastor's wife is a psychologist. Oh, wow. And so that was a blessing for your man. Family. Look, because she understood. Right. She un- and, and he understood exactly right. what was what was going on. And so 
they came in um they talked to our you know us as a family mm-hmm. and then they said you know we'll figure this out and we'll work this out together because only because they knew what was going on i think to this day if she wasn't a psychologist mm-hmm. um could have been a very different no question. Yeah, situation. Because, I mean, you know, church people can be very mean. And so what my pastor was about more so than anything else, he didn't want my mom to become a spectacle in sure. the church. Sure. I mean, she was a spectacle and people were, you know, like you said, doing the whispering. And making their own assumptions. And making their own assumptions. Mm-hmm. But he was very good about not allowing my, my family and my mom to become a spectacle. That's great. In the church. Because at and the so, end of the day, we're human. That's right. And we deserve to figure out what the problem is. But see, the thing is, the hardest thing about mental illness is you look normal, you look regular, right. but nobody knows and understands what's going on in mm-hmm. your brain. That's why I think it's still, even to this day, it's it's hard for people to grapple with no in question. society when a family member goes through it and people are just stuck. No question. They don't know how to handle it. And so you can get, I used to get so angry with my mom and say like, why won't you just take your medicine? Like you understand the importance of your medicine and how it helps you to function on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Why won't you just take it? But then in their mind, again, there's nothing wrong with them. They think you crazy. Well, let's go back. When that happened, clearly she hadn't been properly diagnosed yet, right? Correct. So then was it the recommendation of your pastor or did she go seek counseling on her own or the help or no. go to see a psychiatrist? So, all right, to take this even a step further, literally we had to call the sheriff to come pick my mom up mm. and take her And I to, think that's important that we talk about that part of right. it because when something that extreme happens, a lot of people don't know what that process is like right. in between in terms of even getting the help you need. Right. So, all right. And so, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions for your family member. Very difficult. So let's walk this back a little okay. bit. So even with that, I couldn't even be home that day. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've had to call the sheriff on my mom at least three, maybe four times. Mm. So. And I know that's hard. That's your no, mom. No, it's very hard. Like, I and, can't imagine. And, um, matter of fact, I was there the first time. And so I asked the sheriff, I'm like, you know, she won't do any harm to anybody. Like, you don't have to put her in handcuffs, but they got to put her in handcuffs mm-hmm. and everything. And they took her down to DeKalb Medical. And then and the, you, you stay in DeKalb Medical until they get you stable. Mm-hmm. And then once you get stable at the hospital, then you have like outpatient and you go right. see your psychiatrist sure. or what have you. Right. Okay. And so one of the most difficult things was to call the sheriff. Right on my mom yeah like mm-hmm. that's hard and it's mm-hmm. even to the point now um i could say my mom consistently takes her medicine and she's consistently been taking her medicine for about i'll say like five years now mm-hmm. but even till this day if a police if my mom sees a police officer i'm sure it makes her uncomfortable she tenses like yeah. she d- does not miss understandably so yeah. at all yeah because of that because yeah. she'll never forget that mm-hmm. at all. And so that's a tough love, extreme situation, though, that actually ended up being a life-saving no question. situation. No question. So, uh, okay, so she, she went there. She started her outpatient care. Right. And so, again. How long did it take, if you recall, or roughly for them to figure out or diagnose her properly? So the, the first time... Because that, that, you know, that's just so you know, if you're out there listening, Silence the Shame podcast episode two, oftentimes it takes doctors several rounds True. to even really 
properly diagnose you because sometimes you might have one disorder couple with other disorders sure. is what I found in my experience of dealing with it um, through my family situation. So I think they properly diagnosed her the first time. The issue was finding the right medication mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. So the reason why she would stop taking her medicine would be because the medicine would make her feel sluggish. Right, And that's what a number one complaint is from like a, a lot of patients. They don't like the way it All day long. Yeah. She didn't feel like herself. So she, it made her gain excessive weight. Yep. Um, yep. So, but also, I need to back up. So, mental illness is in my family. So, okay, I have Okay, so two, your family's predisposed. Yeah. So, I have two uncles who um, had schizophrenia as well. Okay. One uncle who actually passed away, um, we think because I think he was manic at mm-hmm. one time. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't taking his insulin. Okay. And he died of a diabetic coma. Oh, no. Right. Um, And actually two other uncles who were in the military, but a lot of their issues, people attribute it to the military. But again, I think, you know, it's in the family line. So I think it's a combination of both military experience as well as just part of it being in the family but I think what's important for people that are listening um one not to be you know afraid you know just because it may run in your family but it should also be something though that you think about from time to time because if there has been a family member that has you know had to experience schizophrenia or bipolar depression which are some of the more extreme mental health cases and disorders you know when men or women particularly men start I think around the age 18, 19, but even your mom was around 19. That's when it started. No, that's not when mom, I was 19. Oh, my you were mom, 19. I'm sorry. My mom was like in her late 40s. Okay. It's, but for men then. Yeah. I'm sorry. You, yeah, yeah. you rear It rears its head around 18, 19. So just, you know, keep that in the back of your head and minds and know that, you know, you have to just take good care of your own mental health and, right. and really do the research, the family history and research to find out if it runs in your family. Because even with my mom, there are a couple of things that we kind of think that brought it on. So probably in a matter of months, my uncle died of diabetic coma. My grandmother oh, died. Wow. and she, Was she depressed? She hid it well, mm-hmm. but I think she was. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, um, this was like 2000 when a dot-com Mm-hmm. Like literally, she lost her entire like life savings, oh, like no. six hundred thousand dollars. Oh no! Yeah, in the stock market, mm. and so that's hard. Like all these things happened in a matter of a year, and came crashing down yep. around her. And then, like the following year, we we just started having these episodes with her. Mm. So tell me how your I know how you dealt with it, um, being a son. How did your dad deal with it, being the spouse of a loved one? So having a mental health disorder my dad is he's what you would call a real og (laughs) so he's a a man of few words when something is going on you never know when this when something is bothering him Mm -hmm. but i mean to be honest with you he took it like a champ you know he still went to church Mm -hmm. he still loved my mom you know a lot of times when we see homeless people out on the street Mm -hmm. their family just can't deal with them yeah yeah. You know, and so there was plenty of opportunity for my father just to abandon my mom. She has two grown kids um, who are more than capable of taking care of her. He could have just said, you know what, man, 
I don't have to deal with this. Yeah. I'm out. And that's so sad. You yeah. know, you mentioned that. And then what I've learned, because I do a lot of work with the Atlanta Mission, I've found that most of the gentlemen that are homeless do suffer from mental health disorders. Um, and there's no one to help them get the right treatment. Almost all of them. If, if I would have put a percentage on it, I would say at least 90%. And even the ones um, that are incarcerated, yep. too. But that's another podcast for another day. Yep. But, yeah. but but that's real. So but my, my yeah, father just, you, said that. you know, he had some tough days, but he held her down still holds her down to this day because well I applaud your dad because I've you know just in casual conversations you know been talking to people even recently sharing what we're doing with our podcast and with the silence of shame movement and I've seen other people's parents that are in complete and when I say complete denial Mm -hmm. even with their kids Mm -hmm. they don't want to deal with it the kids are still living in the house and they are like you know pretty much just they're they're even afraid of their child but they're too embarrassed to say that something's wrong with my child yep. and to let people know or to get help yep and i think and that's why we got to talk and no, share our stories we have to keep talking over and over and over again because i guarantee almost every person that you encounter every single day has encountered a situation like mine in one way or another mm-hmm. and so i tell people all the time just as much as the patient needs help the family needs help as well because you don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard. Even to the point with me, I'm not going to lie, I moved to California for four years just to get away. Because, Did you really? Yeah. I went to grad school. Um, my wife was in a residency in, in Oakland at the time. And so I moved out to California with her. We got married at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to live here because, again, it was me running away from being embarrassed, being ashamed. Mm -hmm. And um, man, I'm telling you, that shame and stigma is real. Like I didn't know how to deal with it. And so just never like again, just how we talked about when we first started this conversation. Like I love this city. There's no other place like this place in the world. Mm -hmm. And for me to just literally take all my possessions, leave Atlanta and leave Mm. i got the hell on wow and um i wrote my pastor but that was a coping mechanism for you right that's how that's exactly how i cope with it yeah and like i would get the phone calls like we got to go and call the sheriff on your mom again and take your mom in and then i'll have to fly back home Mm -hmm. and um come see my mom Mm -hmm. and um it's it's tough because you know with all of the things that my uncles were going through when I was growing up, yeah, my mom was the one going to the mental hospitals to see. And them. when you say all the stuff, your uncles that had experienced mental illness, me- yeah, okay, she was the one going to the mental hospital wow. to see them when I was growing up, and I really? would go with her, really, and make talking to the doctors and making sure that they were taking their medication, mm-hmm. and then. One day she was the patient, and one day she was in there. So that's the exact interesting, same, right? the exact same mental hospitals that they were in. So that just brings up an interesting point that she was the caregiver for your uncles experiencing it. And now she was going through it. At what point do you think your mom realized, you know, that she actually um, was schizophrenic and was able to talk about it with her family? Like, she still hasn't talked about it, and she still will never admit it. Really? Yeah. The only thing That's that keeps her taking that medication is my kids. 
So wait a minute. So she's never acknowledged it to you or talked about it. She just takes the medication. Yep. And why do, why do you think that? Do you think there is a shame and stigma even within her or Absolutely. an embarrassment? Absolutely. You know, and if you guys are just tuning in, um, Silence of Shame podcast episode two, we have Xavier Peoples in sharing his story of growing up with his mother who suffered and still suffers from schizophrenia, but is, is, is living well and on medication now. But we're just talking about her not being able to really admit it, if you will. Right. Um, in terms of conversation. Correct. Yes, she's seeking treatment. She's living a normal life now, but not being able to talk to her kids about it. That's got to be hard. Yeah, too. she won't talk about it at all. She'll let me go to appointments with her to see her. Um, well, that's good. Okay. But in terms now, of, are you in the room? Or no, I'm in the room. Outside? I'm in the room, room actually talking. Okay. With the psychiatrist, but in terms of if we're at home, we're sitting on the couch and we talking. That is not a topic that we're that's bringing gonna up. That's going to come up. Okay. Yeah. Did you or any of your family members ever seek counseling on your own from having to deal with that? Not saying you needed. You know, to see a psychiatrist, but just a therapist or a licensed professional to help you understand what your mom was going through. So as a family, we did go with her. That's good. So we went to, I would say like, maybe like five or six appointments uh-huh. as a family, everybody. Sure. Um, to show go. that support. Right. And so, but in that, a lot of things came out. Okay. And so, like, anger towards my father, things of mm-hmm. that nature. So mm-hmm. things that... Mm-hmm. We didn't necessarily know anything about that was inside of her. Yeah, um, she was able to kind of put that out in okay. those in those sessions. Interesting. Did that cause any friction for you guys as a unit or as a family, or was it actually therapeutic where you were able to to better deal with what she was going through? It was. It was a little friction. Friction in the sense that again. Like, my dad is an OG, and so OGs mm-hmm. are, like, cold individuals. He's that black dad. Kind of just stoic and very Yeah, hard to, but yeah, also, um, I guess I'm putting a lot of my business out, but who cares? <laughs> we'll deal with it later. Um, he, he's mean. He's a mean person. Mm-hmm. Like, just mean. Mm-hmm. So he loves her and takes care of her, but... Mm-hmm. He is he is mean. Well, he was mean. Yeah. He softened up in his older age. Well, we won't say mean. Maybe tough. No, nah, he was mean. Okay, <laughs> brother. You know, gro- gotcha. growing up, my dad was very a very mean, mean, mean man. Okay. And um. And we don't know what his struggles were like, right? Because so obviously, he grew up without a father. Yeah, life know. situations lead people down paths sometimes that they can't. My help. dad didn't know his father. Yeah, and that's so, gotta be tough. Um, but he was mean across the board to everybody. Like his meanness, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter who you were. He I was just you. gonna be mean. But anyway, in, in, but in his older age, as he softened up, he softened up, and so my dad is my best friend now. Yeah, and what um, a blessing. Yeah, no, big time. And so you know, I talk to my dad every day. We bounce stuff off of each other. We're friends. That's good. And so, but even even to my mom, in his older age. Mm-hmm. Now he loves my mom. He's always loved my mom, but his love language is different than it was mm-hmm. when we were growing up. Of course. And I'm sure his, you know, sensibilities now, like everything is different and you have to approach it differently now. Absolutely. The level of compassion. That's right. That someone like your father has to have recognizing that, 
you know, life is going good. And then in the middle of nowhere, your wife experienced this traumatic breakdown Absolutely. and situation. And, and that's got to be tough. So I, I commend your father um, for the love that he's providing to your mother as she continues, you know, this journey yep. um, through her situation that that it's not going to break her. You know, she's been able to seek the help that she needs and continues to live a normal life and, you know, just, you know, blessings to your family. How did your sister deal with this? Was it different for her? Did she spend more time with your mom? Because, you know, sometimes it's different for girls so my, with my their moms. Sister, I mean, my sister handles things in her own little way. Yeah. But, and we all do. Um, you know. But for the most part, I mean, she was there for. Yeah, you that's know, good. Particularly when I was in California, she mm-hmm. was holding it down here with my dad. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Do you guys ever, as a unit now, talk about it when your mom's not around just for coping mechanisms? Are you guys open to sharing with one another? If And I'm not, don't you don't have to get specific. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, do you guys ever share? You just kind of just go on and lead, lead the just, life? We don't talk about it at all. But we are very in tune to my mom. Mm-hmm. So um, there have been times when I've gone over and I say, Dad, you know, have you, has mom been taking her medicine? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so literally he has it down to a science. He counts pills. Mm-hmm. He knows when she's taking it, when she's mm-hmm. not. And then it's always good to be in tune to her because if she's not taking it, we can get her back on track yeah. before episode happens. That was, I remember when I was growing up as a young girl, one of my older cousins, um, I think it was my mom's first cousin, my second cousin, um, had schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and the the interesting thing is when I was younger my mom would always say well like my cousin would come over or we go over there and we just see him like throwing books and kind of you know having an episode Mm -hmm. if you will and you know we little we're like what is going going on on. and my mom was like oh your cousin having one of them fits Mm -hmm. f-i-t-s okay for (laughs) y'all slang Urban Dictionary fits means that they're having a tantrum or an attack or an episode, right? But that was the country way of saying it. My mom was like, oh, you having one of them fits? And we were like, okay, whatever, mom. And it kind of went over our head. Right. But as we got older, we understood. And then I began, began talking to his wife about it. And she is such the epitome of strength. I mean, such an amazing lady. My cousin passed away probably about six or seven years ago, but they were able to get his under control and he began taking a shot once a month Mm -hmm. instead of having to take the pills. And, um, it did wonders for him. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if, you know, of course that's available to some people and it depends on your body and your doctor and what your body can handle. But that helped my cousin tremendously. And I just remember those fits, if you will, being fewer and fewer, right. As we got older and as they were able to get it under control and, my cousin was extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first African-American men, or actually the first African-American, I want to say, to graduate from UGA's School of Journalism okay. in the graduate program Okay, um, at a time where there wasn't a lot of us, gotcha. if you know what I mean, doing it. And so um, going back to the shame and stigma, you know, it happens to everybody. You can be smart, you can be rich, you can be poor. You know, guys, just don't think it can't happen to you and don't think that if it does happen to you that you will be outcast from society. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case. I mean, there's so many people out there living 
with disorders um, that are leading normal lives. A lot of people don't know that, you know, Ted Turner had suffered. Yeah. You know, some people do, some people don't. But I, uh, he's talked about it, you know, before, and he suffered from, you know, some form of, you know, bipolar disorder. And the main thing is, guys, you know, just like anything else, we say this all the time, but, you know, as with silence and shame, you know, if you get sick, you got to go to the doctor. Yep. And it's no different than with mental health. And sometimes your family can be predisposed to it or it will be something that's inevitable. Or even as Cameron shared earlier, it could be a traumatic situation, you know, a passing of a parent, a passing of a sibling, or a passing of a spouse, um, having a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to dedicate one of our episodes, you know, to postpartum depression because that's real. Yep. Um, all of our men and women that so graciously give their literally give their lives for our country. Sometimes they come back to this country after war experiencing what's called PTSD. That's a mental health disorder. Very real concern, uh, which can lead to depression and suicide and other things. And so we have just, you know, it's so many wonderful organizations like NAMI and Mental Health America, um, even here in Atlanta, Skyland Trails and Ridgeview that do wonderful works, National Suicide Prevention Hotline. But I don't think it's being talked about enough, right? And that's why I wanted to start this organization is so that we can use our influences in business and entertainment and pop culture and get more people to take it seriously. And when I say take it seriously, meaning that it's something that we should talk about and we should really open up the conversation and not be embarrassed to talk about it because we've got to save so many people, right? through the ability of conversation right. and being able to share. And um, I'm going to need your help on May 5th because May is National Mental Health Month. Um, it's recognized, you know, in our country. And we are doing a National Silence of Shame Day. I don't care that it's Cinco de Mayo. It's also <laughs> Silence of Shame Day. So we want to be a trending topic and we want people to, you know, wear our shirts and take pictures of our logo and post them on social media. And we're really trying to start that conversation up. And also for people listening in the Atlanta area on May 6th, we will be doing our first mental health fair at Young Middle School. And we're going to have panel discussions and we're going to have vendors um, from a resource standpoint on site to answer any questions and provide pamphlets and information and so forth. So we're just going to have a good time with getting people to peel back the layers of shame and stigma. It needs to happen. It is imperative. You know, I, I would just say this. As friends and as family, be in tune to your friends and your family. You know, mm-hmm. I think often we walk past people, we talk to people and we say, how you doing? And they say, fine. And then we move on. Yeah. But then a lot of times we need to make the point to stop and say, no, really, how, how you doing? How are you? I'm glad doing? you said that. You That's know, really key. Because a lot of times the signs are there. Yep. But as friends and family, we're so we're on social media or we're working. We're yeah, doing we're, we're living our lives, we're living right? our lives. And we're not in tune to the people that we literally talk to every single day. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to challenge everyone who's listening today just to check on that friend and that family member that you talk to every day and say, no, really, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And just to make sure that they're doing OK, because and you sometimes never know. that one conversation, right, can turn the direction absolutely of what they're going to and what their thought process is like because right. maybe until then they've been afraid no question to talk to anybody you know or to bring it up I, you know I've had you know people to call me and start opening up um, 
as you know, they've been following me on social media. And I'm just grateful that people are open to share. No question. You know, and of course, you know, I speak to them in strict confidence. But mm -hmm. I, if 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 God placed me in their life to be that ear, mm -hmm. then I'll be that. You know, and mm -hmm. so you got to look for, like you said, your friends and family members that might need that ear. No question. Or support. And I say that because I got a, a story. This is a true story. So mm -hmm. last year I had a friend to come by the bar. And that day the bar was very busy. It was a Thursday. Okay. And so I'm running around and running around. I talked to this person, running around, running around. Looking back on it, I could see that day like it was yesterday there was something wrong with this this person and I didn't say anything about it. And literally me and this person stepped outside for When you say something was wrong, were they not I feeling just, good I just or saw they, it in their they face. saw something was going they were going yeah, through? Yeah, I, I I saw it in their face. Mm -hmm. And I literally pulled this person outside because it was loud. Mm -hmm. And we talked for ten minutes and I'm talking to her about something I had going on. Right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like Damn. So, literally. So you felt bad. Well, yeah, because that Friday night, she killed herself. Don't say it. Are you serious? Yeah. And so, um, mm -hmm. that's tough. Again, and it's not your fault because obviously you didn't know. But, but it's but you retraced that those steps in your head. You know. Even if I would have gave her a hug. Yeah. It just, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and. Um, what did she say? She was just listening to me talk because we had a good mutual friend. And so we were talking about the mutual friend mm -hmm. and we were laughing about the situation because we have an inside joke. Okay. And so, you know, I was just telling her about a situation with a mutual friend. And so we laughed about it and then I went on in mm -hmm. and, um, like that Friday night, I got a call mm. um, saying that um, she had, uh, she killed herself. And like I said, maybe if I would have said, you know, no, really, how are you doing? Talk to me. Like, mm -hmm. what's going on? Mm -hmm. I could have had the opportunity to um, maybe change the course or direction. I don't know. Well, first of all, I'm sorry for... Um the loss of your friend I, I had that happen to me three years ago and I talked to my friend you know the day before it happened and one thing I'll just say to you is you know obviously we'll never know um, but you do have to try and and sometimes their minds are already made up or you know it's too late you know to get to them that's why we gotta incorporate this dialogue into our everyday sure. conversation and vernacular, if mm -hmm. you will, right? Removing the shame and stigma. Take the, sh the stigma out mm -hmm. of the normal vernacular. Like, people, you got to just, you know, excuse my language, fuck it. You just got to, like, really be real with people. Right. You know, you got to get past all the superficial stuff, all the BS, all the hype you see on social media. Because one thing I do know is sometimes people post things on social media and it's a cry for help. That's right. You, you really think they doing this and doing that and living the life and they just trying to upkeep this image That's right. that they can't keep up with so don't just think just because you 
checking in with your friend. You thinking, oh, I'm reading all her Facebook posts. It looked like they're doing well. Or my family. Look, you don't know. Mm-hmm. So you still got to get that personal connection and, and call them and reach out and touch. And mm-hmm. you got to get past all of that because you don't know if somebody's going through it. That's right. Um, so I just... I want to thank you so much for for joining us today on the show and and being so vulnerable and transparent and sharing your family story. Um, I I salute you, your mom, your dad, your sister. um, And and we thank you for being that pillar of support, right? And that foundation that your mom needed so that she's still here and doing what she needs to do sure. and, and living life and enjoying her, her kids and her husband. It's so many people out there that, that don't have an Xavier or don't have your dad playing that role, right. right? And they're just letting that person suffer on their own or go through it. And, you know, and this is another podcast for another day, but if this new part of this affordable health care plan right. passes, because I'm not calling it Obamacare because right. that's the that's what y'all gave it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the real title of it. But, you know, it, it, the part of it will cut Medicaid back tremendously. And if you guys don't know, so many people that are suffering from mental health disorders, Medicaid covers 25% of all people being covered. Wow. That's crazy. That's big. It's huge. And so what does that mean, you know, for people that are getting help? And so that's why we as family members and as friends and in the community, we've got to support people even more, you know, to make sure that they're getting the help that they need especially if they have the access to insurance right and can get the help um so hopefully we'll be doing a lot more together no question we will you know hopefully we will silence of shame thanks you xavier peoples for sharing your story and you know we also want to thank mean street studios and dj drama neela joy and the whole crew um for coming along with us on this ride thank you for our other guest Cameron who is also a committee member for being here um, this episode hopefully we'll, we'll have sponsors and it'll be brought to you by some wonderful people trying to also get the message going so we're up and running y'all we're on iTunes we are doing our part to peel back the layers of shame and stigma so until next time um, check on someone give them a call tell them you love them and talk to you later peace <laughs>